1: Welcome to the U.S. Open pre-preview edition of Shack House, presented by Callaway Golf. Hey, let's kick this one off with a great special lively shack house only promo offer okay you've heard us talk a little bit about callaway customs which lets you personalize your clubs and balls choose your paint fill the weight the port colors throw some custom stamping on there for good measure house has already seen one of the uh the the slate shack house wedge i was playing with today uh so anyway in celebration of the 117th u.s open championship at aaron hills callaway is offering 25 dollars off your order of a callaway customs wedge for the next three weeks so to redeem this offer go to callaway golf.com slash customs use a design tool to get your wedges looking just right uh you've got chrome you've got slate you've got black you've got green you got all these great colors um uh, just go there Make out your wedge, then enter promo code House at checkout to apply the discount. Excuse me, House twenty five. Jeez, House! I can't even get the promo code right. I, well, they, I think it's nobody
0: a, will forget. It's twenty five bucks. House yeah. twenty five. Get the money, 25. friends.
1: Yeah, all caps. House twenty five. That'll get you your twenty five dollars off. All right, let's go to the Shack House. today on the shock house we are going to do a quick quick little update pre-preview of the u.s open and then we are going to discuss all things aaron hills and the usga with uh, executive director mike davis of the usga but house we've got to do a little cleanup on the uh, recent memorial tournament and u.s open sectional qualifying i'm getting excited we're almost there how you doing yeah, the taste in my mouth is is getting
0: more and more Wisconsin. I got a little cheddar taste these days, Jeff. <laughs> I know we're still two weeks out, but it's 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 I'm starting to we're really it's coming into view. My uh my betting sheet has some notes on it. I, I watched uh, closely, astutely, the performance of the, the golfers in, at the Memorial this weekend. Uh, the sectional produced some interesting um, yeah. results. I had a couple guys on my list that I was hoping to uh, allocate a little capital to. They didn't make it. Uh, they no. didn't qualify. I was sad, very sad to see Patrick Cantley, yeah. pa- not make it. And um, in, in, in the event that he played in in Columbus was an incredible yeah. field. I mean, yeah, I don't, you know, I understand that the guys, um, you know, do it out of out of convenience. But the the uh, the field in, in in Columbus was outstanding. Every one of the guys that made the the that qualified were, were spectacular.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Some of them have that philosophy. Well, because obviously there's so many spots at, at that one that. Most of them just go there for that reason. But you'll also see some names pop up in other locations who have the strategy of, well, there's just so much competition at that one. I'm going to go somewhere that has maybe a little less stiff competition, and I'm going to be able to qualify even though there's three spots. And then I think over the years that's backfired enough that <laughs> now they just go, ah, I want to go to the place that has 17 spots. Um and so that's what they did, and and uh, even if they have to deal with the weather, it seems like every year there. But uh, yeah, Cantlay was definitely, I had him in my golf week 10 to watch, and I had to uh, to zap him last minute yesterday while I was down at the uh, sectional in Newport Beach, and I replaced him with Ricky Fowler, who was not in my 10. Even though he's been very consistent this year, I wasn't feeling much after the uh the performance of the players in the Zurich, but then he then he came back and not only did he play well at the Memorial House, he played well at a golf course that he has had some uh, weird days at, and he's he 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 really hasn't had a good track record there. And so I, as you can imagine, kind of like a like a horse handicapper when I see a a, a horse respond at a track they don't usually uh, run well at. That gets me excited that the player is kind of in form and, and otherwise all year he's been so consistent. So uh, funny and that, no, that you're... Uh, and and one other thing I want to throw out about him to yeah. uh going into Aaron Hills. Um he, you know, I've mentioned this before. He grows he grew up in Temecula, which is a wind tunnel. Uh and 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 as we're going to hear on the show today with Mike Davis, the wind is just going to be such a factor at Aaron Hills, and in, in his view, and in the view of many who've been there. And so, I think that uh, we know there are a lot of players today who who don't like wind. They they don't know what to do with it, or they blame the golf ball, or they blame something else. And Ricky is not one of those players. That's so much Ricky love from you. I know, and you, you touching, especially since he blocked me, yeah. <laughs> well, that's you know maybe it's maybe, the, I, uh, maybe you'll get agent. a follow
0: maybe you'll you'll get unblocked. But I look, think Billy he,
1: Horschel started following me again or, or unblocked well, me. It's look, a touching thing. I know you stepped on all my Fowler love. Uh, I was prepared
0: to give Ricky a bunch of love. <laughs> I actually had him uh, in a in a fantasy pool, and I honestly think that the rain delays the two rain delays derailed him from winning the Memorial. Yeah, I yeah. thought he was playing the best. In the round, um, at right before the the first rain delay, and I think when he came back, he just it just you know he lost an edge of some yeah. sort. That was my observation. Well, as you can sitting imagine, on my couch I mean, on a Sunday afternoon, but you know,
1: yeah, he gets very uh, locked in on the golf course, and you can imagine being taken out of that that sort of little zone you're in is brutal. It's just not. You get hyped up, you get you get excited, and you're 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 in the flow, and then the horn sounds, and it's some people. I think they can handle it better than others. He is somebody who gets so uh, into tournament mode that you can imagine. It's just difficult to kind of go in and out of that. And uh, I I completely sympathize with it. It was a shame, too. It was such a good leaderboard. There were so many scenarios. And then... And then, thankfully, Duffner kind of saved the whole thing, but with making that putt on the last hole, so you felt good about his win because it was it was it was going to be kind of a ragged 18th hole there, and uh, and then he goes and makes the putt. It
0: was a it was a ballsy win. I mean, you yeah, know, what, what what he did on, on Sunday after the Saturday 77 was impressive. I will tell you though, with all of that about Duffner and what he's shown in form, I'm not he's not one of my U.S. Open guys. Ricky is one of my US Open guys. I'm sad now. He was 25 to 1 when we recorded our show last week. He's now down to 20 to 1, yeah. which is a little hurtful. But let me tell you a guy um, whose odds have not changed since, uh, you know, over the, over the course of the week, and that is Bubba Watson.
1: Really? They didn't change after that performance. I
0: checked in today. There's still eighty to one on the book that I um, I'm able to play. I've seen him all the way down in the, into the fifties, but the book that I'm I'm lucky enough to use for for allocating my capital capital still eighty to one. I made a play on Sunday because I was worried that um, he would finish the round and that he might win and then drive drive himself all the way down into the forties. But I went ahead and, and got um, fifty on him to win at uh 40 to 1 and I also like Bubba there's a top 20 it's a it's a about uh plus 270 right now so almost oh, pretty good. 3 to 1 yeah not not terrible at the top 20 now bubba has a terrible record at the US open so he does but
1: this is i think you have to throw it out at this golf course it's 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 so much wider than the ones that they've been playing and for him if he can mentally embrace the challenge and like it and not uh, have a problem with the fact that it's hard to line up. He can hit his driver and he can shape the ball and all that fun stuff. And you never know. It, it's it's with him. It's one of those things. If he can talk himself into liking this, he'll he'll. And the way he's starting to play, he'll be dangerous.
0: So speaking of, of dangerous, here's my question to you: Is there anything do we make anything out of DJ
1: not making the cut at the Memorial? Yeah, that's not good. That was weird. Oh. Wow yeah. well he's played okay. well at Muirfield Village. He likes that event. Uh, I've seen him in action there. Uh, this is not uh, this is not encouraging. I, I mean he's really thrown a wrench into my view that this would be a, a great place for him and uh, I just don't know what to say. It was really a, a, a complete blow up and he uh, who knows maybe he just wasn't into the week and, and and felt that way but yeah, I think you have to be a little bit concerned that uh, it was the was isn't right. He was
0: battling back on Friday. He got himself within a couple of the the cut line, and then immediately, you know, went in the wrong direction again. So I, I haven't seen any stories um, that treat this. Somebody I did see somebody um, arguing. You know, let's not get too uh, obsessed about this. Maybe DJ's got this this Aaron Hill's preparation. On his card, and he mm. was kind of eager to, to get started with that. And so that when doesn't sound like it him. became, <laughs> I, I, I mean, look, I'm just you know, I'm just yeah. repeating it. I'm just repeating uh, something well, I read. One guy that I that I do like, uh, and I love the the the, um, the the way his game is rounding into form. Uh, speaking of other big names, uh, and this one's right on the edge of, of my um, odds that are acceptable, Jason Day.
1: Yeah. Did you catch the comment that uh, our friend Amanda Balionis made when she uh, interviewed him or after I believe she interviewed him on the telecast that that his caddy said he's 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 sitting on the on the verge of just uh, being Jason Day again. He's he's right there. He's close. And this is a golf course if he's uh, in good shape and feeling good about himself and he and he certainly looks like he's fit uh, and he he gets there and he likes it it's it's uh ideal for him i think it's got that mix of of everything that uh, should reward his his game when his game is good yeah and he's
0: uh, there in that 12 to 1 13 to 1 range
1: which i don't like at all uh, very exciting but you know again if you're rounding out a, a a team and a fantasy pool and all that it's it's i think you have to include him and it's just going to be such an interesting one to to watch the early week uh, comments, or even the the, the comments you know, the weekend before the people who are finally seeing it for the first time. And I think that you're going to have players who talk themselves into the place, and there are going to be plenty more who kind of talk themselves out of it. It's um, true. I'll tell you what was fascinating at the sectional, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll get to Mike Davis here. House was. I uh, I'm always fascinated by how players research a venue, and we had five of the six players at the Newport Beach U.S. Open sectional were are amateurs who qualified. Love oh, that, come, yeah, oh, it's great, and and they were all great stories and and great interviews and and cool people you're gonna you're gonna want to root for. Uh, I mean, a kid, Mason Anderson, senior, just finished high school. He's going to ASU, awesome. and he, he was loving the fog in Newport Beach. He was so happy to be out of the heat, and he's uh, so so composed and mature uh, at that age, and and obviously playing some incredible golf uh, with the scores he posted. Sahith so Agala, who goes to Pepperdine, is uh, made it. Who uh, I'm so excited for, and uh, he put on a, an incredible display. Stuart Hagestad the U.S. Mid Amateur champion. Uh, Kevin Doherty, a friend of Ricky Fowler, uh, Oklahoma State guy who's been kind of toiling on the mini tours and um he he made a he he, he nearly blew it on the last hole but they they're all great. Um and but the one thing you find out is a, a couple of them I'm, I'm sure are aware that the US Open is is when it is <laughs> which is I think a compliment to them because they were looking ahead. Uh they're going to be in a little bit of a shock that they need to leave on this Sunday uh you know before the The tournament but how little they know about the course and then you ask them well what are you going to do and and they just uh they have no clue how to prepare for this venue and so so a lot of them will just go to google earth and uh, i think it'll be interesting to see if how many hire a local caddy either for the week or at least for the practice rounds they have a great caddy force there at aaron hills and i you know at chambers bay that was a fun story so it's just well, going it, to be very interesting to watch all that and see, uh, read into comments how players talk themselves in or, or out of the place. For
0: sure, in that respect, though, there is a little bit of a equalizing effect from the fact that this is the first uh, you know professional competition at the venue. I mean, I know that the guys who already qualified have already been able to get out there and start mapping things out and so forth, but these guys arriving Sunday are not enormously, you know, that it's not like going to Oakmont for the first time. Right.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's definitely going to be a challenge and it's a big challenge. It's, it's not like it's a place too where you, I mean, you need to play all the holes and it's a long day and you got to pace yourself, though, to save your energy. So it's going to be a lot of interesting. I'm more excited house than I, I had been. I'll be honest. I still don't. I, I the, the course is, you know, uh, very big in scale, and, and, and I'm not a fan of those, uh, especially because uh, they're hard to spectate on. But I, I'm getting more excited because we have players kind of rounding into form, and that really helps people that we, we uh, kind of expect to be there. So that's encouraging. And then, of course, there's always – I mean, House, what other sport has – their tournament their their national championship open to this many people where you can go through two stages of qualifying and be there and live this dream and there's there's probably a solid 30 people there maybe 40 who most people will never have heard of and who will be you know contending in their national championship that's that's just to me that's uh well, that's what makes it great and why I get excited this time of year
0: well i i'm the same way with you i have a very nerdy We're going to have Mark Loomis, the coordinating producer of the Fox broadcast, on as a guest next week um, to talk us through kind of the TV side of things. But Fox already put up their um, sectional qualifier show last night. But it came on at at midnight Eastern. Now, I know that (laughs) they have to do that to accommodate the West Coast results. But, you know, I I would love if if that could come on primetime. I'm such a sucker. The longest day in golf, they call it, right?
1: Right. Yeah. And they, I I, I uh, love this stuff. Give us, give us a full
0: hour. Give us two hours of, of, you know, okay. For the ones that haven't finished yet, give us some live look-ins. I mean, I'll, I'll eat it up. I love the sectionals.
1: I know. And this is where the USGA Fox relationship concerned a lot of us at the, at the beginning and, and still concerns us that it's just not a priority for them. And, Uh, I've gotten a lot of email today. People are mad at the Golf Channel for not doing the coverage they used to do, which they did all-day coverage with people on-site at all these places, which is so expensive to do, so hard to do. And I thought, obviously, we're biased because our our friend Jeff Newbarth produced the show, but I I thought – they did a fantastic job, uh, in, in because it, you have to wait till the late in the day house with these things. How late they go, Columbus, yeah, went I, know, till I know. nine o'clock. Um, right. And then you know, but then of course, then Skip Bayless and uh, came on and started talking about how he just isn't bullish on on Ricky's uh, career prospects because he's little. Uh, I was like, oh dear, let's go bet Ricky right but, now. I'm yeah, betting Ricky. I mean, there's so <laughs> many great stories at the sectionals. I didn't need to hear that from skip Bayless. I, I, am sure he's told he's got to come up with something to stir it up. But, um, you know, a, every story at the sectionals is more interesting than that. And so I laughed at that, but, uh, I, I thought they did a super job. Oh, and by the way, did you, I don't know. Oh, no. So you have not watched it, but one other player, uh, speaking of, of mentally preparing Bryson DeChambeau was interviewed. He qualified and he reminded us that he played very well at chambers bay in the us amateur. He lost to a, a player who was red hot, and he was reminding us also that he loves the place. So, Bryson's one of those players. He's not on Bubba's level, but he's definitely a player who I think can talk himself into a venue and play, uh, uh, you know, play up to because he, he's feeling good at the place and feels like he's got an advantage because he's mapped you, it out or whatever. So, you, 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 another name so- to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, you said Chambers. Did you? Did you mean? I'm Aaron sorry. Was? I'm
1: sorry. I'm sorry. Aaron Hills. Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, so Ooh. Bryson, yeah, he was interviewed on the show. It was really a good talk and uh, 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 very good insights. So uh, if you well, do have a DVR, check it out.
0: Good talk and good insights. We have this great interview with Mike Davis, CEO of the USGA, coming up. So uh, let's do a quick break this break is brought to you by our good friends at odyssey golf odyssey is the number one putter in golf and they are especially hot right now with the O works micro hinge insert the micro hinge insert from odyssey dynamically generates top spin at impact keeping the ball on its intended line to help you make more putts i need my ball on its intended line because i need to make more putts the member guest is right around the corner Shaq. Hey, why not give the gift of more putts to dear old dad for Father's Day? Visit odysseygolf.com slash Father's Day to view the entire Father's Day gift guide. Odyssey is the number one putter in golf.
1: Yes it is house and now uh, as promised our interview with Mike Davis we spoke to him actually last week he was at the memorial for the uh, honoree day there and was a part of the festivities and the uh, the club group that Jack Nicholas has put together. He's the executive director of the USGA. He manages uh, all aspects of the association's day-to-day operations. Uh, but, of course, most people know him because he is uh, the front man on uh, uh, US Open telecasts when there's something going on and uh, or just discussing golf course setup, uh, and Mike is a man. He's been with the USGA since 1990. He's moved up the ranks. He was a, a championship relations person. I met him in 1998 at the U.S. Senior Open here at Riviera, and that's how we got to know each other and discuss uh, golf architecture and then he became a, a u.s open championship director uh so he's gone through all the stuff on site at a tournament and uh, now he uh you know has moved up the ladder to first senior director of rules and competitions in 2005 which was a, a job held previously by tom meeks and he's been setting up u.s open courses since now he, he has a lot of help from jeff hall they split up the nines. Jeff uh, usually does the front. Mike usually does the back. Uh, he's a native of Chambersburg, uh, PA. He was introduced to golf at age eight uh, by his father, which we'll talk a little bit about with him here. And he's a, the, the 1982 Pennsylvania State Junior Champion and played Division I golf at Georgia Southern University. So, house, here is our chat with Mike Davis of the United States Golf Association. <laughs> joining us now is mike davis executive director and ceo of the united states golf association mike thank you for joining us here as we get closer to the u.s open and uh, i would imagine you're very excited about uh, this time of year
2: well jeff joe it's great to be with you and and you're absolutely right there, there's something i was just telling my wife last night before i was leaving this time of the year really is exciting it's busy but it's um just a lot of excitement in the air around the USJ. And so, um, certainly looking forward to a couple weeks from now.
0: Hey, Mike, one of the things uh, Shaq and I have been uh, talking about in the run up to this year's Open is uh, Aaron Hills as a new venue. And um, as a guy who just plays golf, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the, of the game. I don't know very much about uh, what the, goes into the USGA's thinking and process in terms of how it selects selects venues. I know you have to uh, plan you know, some number of years out in advance, and we've had two new courses, Chambers Bay and Aaron Hills here, in the last uh, handful of years. Can you talk a little bit about what goes into the USGA's planning for how it selects
2: venues? Yeah, sure, Joe. I mean, it, it, you're right, because we essentially have named venues the whole way out to 2026. And once you get past this year, Aaron Hills, um, there, there are these kind of old tried and true venues that have n- not only history to the golf course, but history in terms of us opens and championships. And I guess the one exception would be Los Angeles country club where we're going to have this year's Walker cup match, but, but we've got the us open in 2023 going there. But, but you know, that is an old, beautiful George Thomas designed golf course that, Well, it may not have U.S. Open history. It certainly has a lot of other history. But listen, in terms of choosing U.S. Open venues, um, a lot does go into it. Um, You know, as you can imagine, history plays a part of it. Geography plays a part of it. Um, Can it handle the event logistically? And that's not just on-site, but that's off-site. So where's the parking and traffic? What are the hotels like? Is there an airport close by? But I would tell you that by far... The biggest thing that goes into it is the golf course itself. Is you know we've got to look at it and say, number one, is it one of our country's great golf courses? And you know we can define great different ways, and that's that's the wonderful thing about our our sport versus others is that the the, the golf course or the arena, if you will, is so different in our sport versus other sports where it tends to be the same and. Um, so we'll look at that and say, okay, can this golf course, can Aaron Hills test the world's best players, and can it do it in a very thoughtful, exciting um, way, really the way the architect intended it? So when we look at these sites, it really does get down to the golf course first, and then we say, okay, if the golf course works, does the rest of it work? And and you know, if you name a site, I can tell you that there's certain parts of it that aren't ideal, but... Um, you know everything from trying to almost stuff a U.S. Open in a place like Marion to a place like Pinehurst, which is a huge property and well draining with sand. But it's they're all different. And and I guess I would just end with this: is that it's tough moving championships around every year. You know, I'm I'm here in Columbus, Ohio for the Memorial for a day or. And, you know, they have essentially the same vendors, the same volunteers. And if something doesn't quite go right at the memorial, you know, Jack and and the people at the the memorial are going to get it right next year. And, you know, for us, we don't necessarily have that luxury. So we've got to go into a venue and say, how can we make it the best championship? And the tough thing with an Aaron Hills or a Chambers Bay or when we went to Best Page in 2002 for the first time, You're trying to anticipate what would work and what might not work. And versus when you go to an Oakmont, we know what Oakmont's like wet, we know what it's like dry, we know what it's like windy, When we know when it's still. So um, that that really, you know, that that answers the question. It it really is all about the golf course.
0: Yeah, so that's a a perfect uh, lead in. What about Aaron Hills caught your eye? And, and um, led you guys to select that as this year's open venue.
2: Well, I tell you what's so unusual about it is we actually saw Aaron Hills before it was even a golf course. and I think that w- what what it really boiled down to is it is a spectacular piece of property that I think almost all golf course architects who would have seen that property before it was ever, the golf course was built, would agree with that. It's this beautifully rolling, natural piece of property that's well draining, which is so important for a, for a golf course, particularly of a championship golf course. And when, when it was built back really starting in 2004, the idea was to build it very minimalistically in, in design. So, um, what's fascinating is that the architects that did it Mike Hurds and Dana Fry and Ron Witten really just tried to lay the 18 holes right on the existing property and they moved it and they granted they did move some earth but but relative to other you know u.s open sites or golf course sites very little dirt was moved and i suspect if another architect had gotten his hands or her hands on it the same thing would have been done maybe with a different routing but Um, So it it really, the land itself, which was formed roughly 10,000 years ago by a melting glacier in the last ice age, really created this incredibly interesting piece of property that the architects just in some ways just laid, the you know, not not only the routing on, but even the green sites on. So uh, we're excited about it.
1: So, Mike, we have Jordan Spieth, who played, uh, well in the U.S. Amateur there. He, he won three matches. Uh, we have, if he qualifies, Patrick Cantlay was a semifinalist there. But otherwise, we know nothing about <laughs> this golf course in terms right. of what kind of players it will reward. Can you First, can you think of, I mean, I know Shinnecock probably in 86 was probably completely unknown, and there have been others. Chambers Bay, though, you know, a fair number of players that were familiar with it, but can you give us, I mean, we our audience is, uh, of course, uh, I'll, I'll get right to the point, wants to know who they should be picking. Uh, and Without naming names, obviously, can you give us some idea what your sense is of what uh, kind of players will do well at Aaron Hills?
2: Yeah, Jeff, neat question, and I think that's one of the beauties of going to different sites is there are different courses for different courses, so to speak, and um, which, you know, I, I'll just I'll just say in that vein, that's what makes players like a Jack Nicklaus so impressive. When you look back at his U.S. Open record, you know, while he won four times, when you look at mm-hmm. the times he didn't win, he finished second, third, fourth. And it almost didn't matter the golf course you put Jack on. He figured it out versus others. It, you know, it can be truly that different courses for different horses. But I look at Aaron Hills and say, it's a fairly big golf course. It's a par 72. We haven't been on a par 72 since 1992 at Pebble Beach. Um, its fairways are probably, and I'm estimating on this, maybe 50% wider than most U.S. Open fairways, That you, you know, whether it's an Oakmont, Wingfoot, or so on. And, and so I do think you're going to see a lot of drivers used at Aaron Hills. Um, it, it seems like when you watch it on TV, it'll seem like a lynxy type course. But really, first of all, it does—it's not a lynx course by definition. And second of all, most of the approach shots into these greens really need to be more aerial than a than a bounce and run because they're either they sit up on a, on a almost a dune like, or they're they're funded by bunkers. So I view somebody that can, generally speaking, hit the ball a long way, and and it helps to hit it high. But having said those two things, this is a very windy site. It would be very unusual to have even a day go where we don't get some wind. So with that said, I think the ability to control the trajectory of your ball and the distance is going to be hugely important at Aaron Hills. And then the last thing I would say in terms of, you know, who, who does this fit? um, I think there's going to be more putts made at this U.S. Open than normal U.S. Opens. And I say that because I think the greens are a little bit more subtle than some that we go to, Um, and they're in perfect condition. I mean, it's it's perfect, at least that I've seen open greens, and it's all one kind of grass. So it's it's a new hybrid-scent A1 strand. and So if you hit the ball on on the right line at the right speed, it's going to go in, and I just think for those reasons, um, you're going to see more more putts made, but I, you know, I, I listen at the end of it. I think you'd you'd all agree that whoever is playing well that week is, you know, whether they're a low ball hitter that doesn't hit it very long. If, if they're playing well, they can absolutely compete for the trophy.
1: You know, we talked about it on the last show, Mike. I I, I have two uh, views on the on the greens because the reports have been just raised. I, I that's uh, I I think I said they were a four. It's good to know they're the a one. But
2: uh, uh, it could, A4. Okay. I, I oh, it, is A4? it is a four. I'm sorry. Oh, it is
1: a four. Oh, okay. No, I I have no clue. But I've just heard they're so good, and you know, there's two. My, part of me thinks, well, that that could be a positive for for guys who are just so-so putters who get a little bit wigged out on poa greens. And you you've heard it all, <laughs> and then some about those yep. kinds of greens. <laughs> uh, or it could just be the kind of thing where the the really great putters just take it to an insane level. Of making putts, so I think that's really going to be a, a fun thing to watch. Um, uh, but but speaking of players, so you you are well aware, and and I'm well aware, as having been somebody who I'm proud to have defended you uh, from the beginning on your your efforts to mix up tees and course setup. You really started that basically in 06 um, and and with uh, different heights of uh, rough cuts and and moving tees around and more variety and a little more spontaneity. Uh, We're now over a decade into this. What is your sense of how it's gone? And and are you still – I'm curious if you're a little surprised still that players get um, uh, almost – I mean, you still hear, you see it, touchy comments about – about sure. uh, what you do with the setup, but what, what, what kind of what's your overall take now? Uh, this many years in.
2: Well, Jeff, it's an interesting question because it, listen, I I think if you look back at the history of the U.S. Open, I mean, literally you can go back to 1895 and move forward. Given the um, you know the rather stern test, I mean, we'd like to think it's it's maybe the ultimate test in golf, but that's for others to decide. There, there's always been some chirping, if you will, about. How the golf course is set up, and I think that in some cases maybe that is, is warranted. In other cases, it's just because of the difficult test of golf. But we are trying to test all parts of it: so your shot-making ability, your, your your ability to manage your way around course, and and maybe maybe that that includes us throwing you something that you weren't expecting. And so I think if you go back to U.S. Opens. Um, literally uh, more than 100 years ago, and you read the history, you'll, you'll find out that, by and large, of course, is really up to about 1950. They were set up very differently from year to year to year, um, and it was really, by and large, set up by the club itself. Then in the early 1950s, you had Joe Dye, who was the longtime executive director of the USJ, and then Richard Tufts, this wonderful, he owned Pinehurst, and uh, was president of the USJ, and one of the Arguably, maybe the greatest president we've had is at USGA in terms of his contributions, and they devised this way to set up a U.S. Open that you narrow fairways, you grow high rough, you speed the greens, and you just make it a you know a a stern stern test, and and you know for over literally over a half a century that really served by and large. You know, the championship well. And and I would like to think that we really haven't necessarily gone completely away from that. But maybe what we have done in in the last decade is try to let each course uh, speak for itself, if you will, a little bit more in terms of the architecture. So, you know, if it is a wider golf course that That maybe a little bouncy, um, embrace that. If it's a course that has really fast greens like Oakmont and its tradition, embrace that. If it's a course like Pinehurst that never really was designed by Donna Ross to have the the rough that was more of the natural areas and the turtleback pump greens, embrace that. So, you know, when I... Joined the USJ you know. Part of it was you set the T markers at the T sign, and that's what it was all seven days—the so three practice days and four championship days. And and I think as we looked at that, you know, there were times when we felt a little handcuffed and said, you know, what happens if it's a cold, wet, rainy day with wind in your face versus a hot day where it's firm and it's downwind? And why wouldn't you change up the team grounds based on weather? Or maybe architecturally that, that, you know, you can showcase some different things that the architect wanted to do. And the last thing I would say is sometimes we'll, we'll put p markers somewhere that maybe they, they just didn't expect coming into practice rounds. And you, you kind of throw them something, you say, okay, when the heat's on, you and your caddy have to make a course management decision. And, and what I think is fascinating is we all talk about how nerves affect Somebody's ability to make a stroke, but I do think that for some, they they affect their ability to kind of think through a situation. And for instance, I, I've talked to Tiger about this, and he always loved that is that you get him in competition and you force him to think outside of something that he hadn't hmm. planned. And so some players embrace it, but but clearly others. They want to have a course plan, a, a game plan going into every round, and they don't want to yeah. deviate. So I don't think one's necessarily right and one's wrong. It's just it's diff- a different way of presenting it. And I, I think we're pleased that, you know, you look at the history of the U.S. Open, I and mean, you mentioned the last 10 years. I mean, we've got some wonderful champions out of those years.
1: Well, and some pretty exciting championships. Yeah, I, that's fascinating. I think that's about Tiger because I think the the, the, the all-time great – players have always shown themselves to embracing uh the challenge almost loving the the curveballs thrown at them and figuring out how to deal with it but um i got into a an argument recently uh online mike i know this shocks you with uh, tom doke about the, <laughs> the short part for it at tpc sawgrass and and what it made me realize in and, and and you've you've turned a few holes into drivable holes that maybe were not theoretically designed that way but I made the case uh, that not since Pete died has there been a greater disruptive force in golf than the short par four sort of craze or, or interest in them the last uh, 10, 15 years because they've kind of replaced the reachable par five in terms of that decision-making and risk-reward and drama. and uh, I, I, It's raised awareness of architecture, and I think, wouldn't you say, and, and also just people's appreciation of of what is really a fascinating
2: moment in tournament golf no jeff i think you're spot on i think that's one of the. listen we should embrace that you know we have a sport in golf that is very unique in the sense that every one of these golf courses are different and they can not only is the our golf course is different but the weather at a golf course can be different from day to day how you set it up can be different the grasses can be different everything about it and and that's that's part of the wonderful charm of golf and so to your point i think one of the exciting things in championship golf and frankly in any golf is is how you how you work your way around the golf course and when you're given options what do option you take and can you execute after you you do that and I think in championship golf now, I mean, it's been talked about before, but um, these half shot holes, if you will, in other words, a yeah. par five that may play as a four and a half or a par four that may play as a, as a three and a half or, or even go the other way. I mean, I think about the eight pole at Oakmont that, you know, some days it was a three would maybe the drive. That's a par yeah. three that may play as a three and a half. And you know what? Those tend to be very interesting holes because there are options and instead of just a straight, long hole with an uninteresting green where it's just execution, 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 when you, when you allow a player to really think ahead of time about, okay, what should I do? It's, I think Piner's number two, those, those closely mown areas. And by the way, you're going to see it at Aaron Hills this, this year where they've got closely mowns around all 18 greens. It gives the players options to putt it, hit a bump and run to pitch the ball but it doesn't necessarily make it easier it just it it, it puts you know choice in. i don't think it's wonderful it's it's and to see players embrace those options differently is 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 somebody that sets up a golf course that's exactly what you want
0: hey mike uh change in direction a little bit wanted to ask you a slightly personal question Uh, Jeff and I enjoyed the interview you did with uh, Jaime Diaz earlier this year for for Golf Digest. And one of the things that jumped out at us from that interview was the little bit about uh, the golf course that you you co-purchased with your high school pal in South Central Pennsylvania. Uh, tell us a little bit about why you did that and and what you might have learned um from it since the purchase as it relates to the game and and you know your um your your status at the head of uh, at the top of the usga
2: yeah sure joe well i grew up in a in a relatively small town called chambersburg pennsylvania in south central pa very close to gettysburg just close to the maryland border and um I grew up at a neat 18-hole course called Chambersburg Country Club. In fact, it was a par 74 when I grew up. And but there was a um, there was a golf course that was um, somewhat close by, a little nine-hole course called Conica dell and um, and it was never in very good shape. And it was always a low green fee golf course, you know, a, a small budget in terms of the maintenance of it but it was a place where you'd see you know beginners go out to play you would see um you know it just wasn't high-end golf and and so about i don't know six seven years ago uh, this good friend of mine who still lives in chambersburg approached me and said and grew up uh, literally on this golf course and said hey um it's not it's not publicly for sale but i know the owner and he asked me if i wouldn't you know be interested in buying it. so would you be interested and i i kind of scratched my head thinking this is the last thing i have time for right now but um it was in some ways a chance to do something with with a very good friend a chance to give back to golf and in in that area and so you know we bought it and you know I, I think i spend almost no time with it but i get a charge out of it because it is you know as much as you know we're all around these wonderful golf courses with with big budgets for maintenance and you know archi- you know wonderful architecture this is a little nine-hole golf course with you know you can go out and play for under ten dollars uh, and then you know it welcomes juniors and it's it's minimally maintained. I mean the greens might might put it six on the stent meter. The fairways are probably cut at an inch. Um, it's got a beautiful stream trout stream running through it with mountains in the background and it's, it's just kind of the the other end of golf and uh, I don't know I, I you know for me I, I think that's kind of a neat thing and it's you know we, we should embrace golf at all levels and so it's it's kind of a way to give back if you will.
1: So, when you look at that, Mike, and you kind of think about uh, where we are in the game, I mean, is there anything in particular that that it's it's changed your mind on in terms of uh, the the sort of the plight of the the golf course owner or the golf course management company?
2: Well, Jeff, I, I think it's fair to say that you know whether you're a private club or a high end public access or resort or a lower green fee. Uh, golf experience, whether 9 or 18 holes, um, you know, golf courses by and large probably are not the best way to make money. They're very expensive (laughs) to maintain and um, I can believe me, I can tell you this is (laughs) probably not one of the better business decisions I made, but, but, um, but I didn't go into it for that reason. But You know, I I think it's one of the things we feel strongly at the USJ about is that how can we help golf facilities in this country? And really from two different angles. One, how can we make the golf experience be more enjoyable for, for the average golfer? And then secondly, how do we make these golf facilities more sustainable, both economically and environmentally? And so we have spent a lot of money on really researching this and again it's not just it's not just how to maintain a golf course it's just how do you make this experience better and i will tell you it's an area that usj is going to continue to put more and more monies on because you know guys if you think about it everybody in our industry talks about grow 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 the game and so it's about bringing juniors in it's about getting more rounds played by avid golfers etc that I think where so many miss the miss the big picture here is that if you are not giving them a golf experience that yep. is welcoming, that's fun, you know, if you're always out there looking for your ball that's lost or if you're playing on poorly maintained golf courses or if the greens are so fast that it's, everybody's three-putting and the pace of play is bad, um, you know, that, that eventually gets to the point of saying, I just didn't have a good experience out there and I don't want to play as much golf. So, I, you know, mm. to me... It really gets back to the heart of it is that we've got to make sure these golf courses are a fun experience, and we've got to make sure golf courses long-term can sustain themselves. Mike,
0: we had uh, we were lucky enough to have Jay Monahan on uh, a few weeks ago, and one of the things that we discussed with Jay a little bit was about his own personal uh, time and opportunity to actually watch golf on TV, and we asked him a little bit about, you know, is he sitting there watching on TV and then simultaneously have another screen open where he, where you can watch kind of live commentary because now with Twitter and other kinds of forms of social media, you can kind of get real time uh, input from people watching uh, and, and hear a reaction to how the, the um, tournament's being presented. Um, are you able to watch a lot of golf on TV? And, and um, if so, or how do you watch it? So,
2: I, I do watch some um, because, I mean, I want to know what's going on, not just with the PGA Tour, but the European Tour, the LPGA Tour. Um, and, and I love, you know, when, when the rare you know, case happens where you get amateur golf, I mean, I know the NCAs are going on right now. That's great. And I, I will follow it. Um, but sadly, I don't have a lot of spare time in, in my life right now with, with, with this job. So I will watch it in pieces. I oftentimes tape things, and I'll watch part of it. Um, And it's the same way with even news, where I find myself absorbing news, where it's just I almost speed read through things. I will, you know, we have a clipping service at the USJ, so I I might, um, I I might look at five percent of the articles that, that, that come on this clipping service. Um, you know, I like I like to take Golf Central on Golf Channel. I think they do a great job there and it really gives me an idea of what's going on news-wise. But um I just don't have a chance to watch as much golf as I, as I'd like to and I, you know, when I pass the baton here to somebody else in the future, uh, I look forward to those days where I can watch more.
1: But during the open, you you do have a a monitor and you watch uh kind of to monitor your setup, right?
2: Absolutely, Jeff. in yeah. fact, to that point, um, I actually can learn more watching TV, believe it or not than if I'm actually out on the golf course at least mm. and that's Thursday through Sunday because you get to see so many different holes in, in a short period of time versus if you're just sitting out somewhere at a hole, you're only seeing that hole when you're having to wait between groups and so on so I, I do i really do watch um not, not the whole thing but i do watch pieces just to see how are greens reacting how's the whole location working how's the how the speed of the greens you know what do we do, need to do for maintenance uh, you know this coming evening to get it right for the next day and so it's um so uh, yeah u.s open week i'm i certainly at least some of the time am in front of the tv all
1: right mike a few uh a little more rapid fire questions and then we'll let you go um uh, Tell us the best thing the USGA does that
2: few or no golfers know about. Well, I think golfers tend to know about championships and governance. So I, I would say it's those areas I talked about before. It's, it's those millions of dollars that have been invested into turf grass research and, and proper ways to maintain a golf course, build a golf course, um, I that that would be the area I think that we we we've done so much for the game that most people aren't even aware of.
1: And uh all right now see so you've, you you've been setting up a lot of golf courses US Amateur US Open. Uh tell us your favorite hole to to study, set up and of course the your least favorite the one that keeps you up at night uh that uh ages you to uh to to set up the hole and and uh watch it play out.
2: Jeff, it gets back to, I love holes where there's options on it, or I love holes where it can play differently from day to day. Um, so, you know, that, that again, that can be a short par four, reachable par five, uh, a hole where you maybe move the T markers up and make a very short par three. I mean, about some of the great short par threes, I mean, I know you were involved with the Los Angeles Country Club, but I can't wait for 2023, and frankly, for this summer, for the 15th pole there—that little short par yeah. three, or Marion's 13th hole, or Pebble Beach's seventh pole. or you know, there's just some of these great short threes that are fun because when you allow the players a you know a wedge in. You feel like you can be more aggressive with a hole location and um, and not feel guilty about it. And and I would say what keeps me up at night with setup is when when holes don't play the way they were designed to play. I mean, if all of a sudden you set the key markers too far back and you get the reverse wind from what they, they predicted and now all of a sudden they can't get it up on top of a hill that they were supposed to or – or if a hole location doesn't work, I mean, nobody pats you on the back if you get seventy-one out of seventy-two hole locations right. It's all yeah. one went wrong. So that that would be. It's it's not necessarily when a hole's hard, but it's when it doesn't play properly. Is that that to me is a uh, you know a, almost a sickening feeling?
1: Are there any Aaron Hills that uh, that you've, you you're going to give extra attention to just because they're it could uh, with a wind shift could be. Trickier. I mean, the flyovers. It looks like you don't have
2: any monster carries. Well, there actually are, and that's what's interesting oh. with the, with the flyovers is that they're <laughs> they don't do justice to how much movement there is in that property. For instance, mm. the, the the tee shots on number eight and number twelve. You got to get them up a big hill in front, and if you can't get them up, the ball literally rolls back down to the and where it, it you're completely blind and those would keep me up a little bit knowing that if the meteorologist misses the wind condition, um, Mm. on all of a sudden the guys can't get it up top. That, that would be an example of what would make me nervous. And, you know, even holes like you'll see the ninth at Aaron Hills, is this marvelous little downhill par three that has a green that basically falls away from you. And, um, you know, it's, it's probably a wedge or 9-iron for most of the players, but, you know, that, that would make me nervous if that green got so fast and it was straight downwind and it was firm where you're watching well-executed shots hit the front of the green and roll the whole way off the back. I mean, it's, it's some of the things, I mean, think about Oakmont last year that you worry about on the 1st hole or the 10th hole or the 12th hole where there's green's beautiful design where they fall away from you, which is very strategic. But at the same time, if you set it up and properly, you watch well-executed shots penalized, and we never want that. All right, Mike. A couple
0: easy ones to end with. What's your favorite sport outside of golf?
2: Boy, I guess it's a toss-up between football and tennis. I have uh, grew up loving both sports. Um, I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and was a fan before they ever won their first Super Bowl, and. On tennis, I, I loved, you know, kind of growing up watching Bjorn Borg play against Connors and McEnroe and now watching Federer. And my son's a tennis player, so uh, we've been going to U.S. Open tennis for years, and I took him a couple years ago to Wimbledon, which was a great experience. So I, it, it's a toss-up.
0: Okay, that's, that's cool. So the very last one, you mentioned at the outset that you're at the Memorial uh, this week while we're recording this. What, what's your milkshake?
2: <laughs> you got to go with the chocolate. Yeah. Straight chocolate? Straight chocolate.
0: Oh, Old school. Boring. I love it.
1: I oh, love it. <laughs> oh,
2: come on, Mike. Come on. <laughs> Having uh, said that, I'm not going to turn away she, any of she, these milkshakes. Yeah, there regardless Jack of the likes flavor. the Buckeye.
1: He wants the mix. Yeah, yeah. You got to go the Buckeye. That's, that's, that's exquisite there. It's a work of art. Plus, that's kind of the... I don't know how peanut butter and chocolate became the, the, the flavor of of Ohio, but uh, it is. And I think it'd be insulting to your host not to have that, but that's just exactly. Well, I'll,
2: I'll try one of those. Thank you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all right, Mike. Well, we really appreciate your time. We know it's a, it's a busy time of year. We've got the sectional qualifying and then, of course, the U.S. Open and then a busy summer for you all. And then, of course, you'll all be coming out to Los Angeles for the U.S. Amateur and Walker Cup, which uh, we're very excited about here. So, we wish you the best of luck with Aaron Hills and all the uh, the tournaments coming up this season.
2: Well, thanks, Jeff, Joe. It was nice being with you, and I look forward to seeing you later this summer. Thanks, Mike.
1: Thanks, Mike. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Big thanks to Mike Davis. Really enjoyed that chat and appreciate him giving us the time. Let's close the show With a word about Chrome Soft, the ball that changed the ball, Callaway has been the fastest growing major golf ball brand since 2013, and its Chrome Soft golf ball has been a major part of that. The key to Chrome Soft's performance is the dual soft fast core, which makes it extremely fast, incredibly soft, and unbelievably easy to control. With Father's Day coming up, help Dad play some better golf. By gifting him the only golf ball with a dual soft, fast core. Go to CallawayGolf.com slash Father's Day to explore the full Father's Day gift guide. Chrome Soft is
1: the ball that changed the ball. Oh, House, that was magnificent. So <clears throat> so we have uh, we have a little bit of a, a show note to to point out. You mentioned earlier. Uh, we have Mark Loomis next week. We've uh, we've already chatted with him. Uh, that one's in the can, ready to go. He's got some great insights on Aaron Hills and the broadcast you're going to get very excited about. Uh, we are also then going to be, or I will be live at uh, Aaron Hills. So I hope to have some good insights into the course, the the, uh, the tournament, the setup, the whole thing. And we will uh, provide absolutely magnificent picks, won't we, House, on the Shaq House. U.S. Open Preview Edition. Ooh, that was nice.
0: This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, A young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike.
2: Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.